When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. This is the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast where our Football Insider subscribers gave us questions. I asked them to Mary Kay. She answered. We get into all kinds of things like Odell Beckham's health, what should happen to Greg Lewis, the Chiefs running backs coach who shoved Ronnie Harrison and eventually led to Ronnie Harrison shoving him back. And of course we get into a little bit of Baker Mayfield as well. Now, if you want to become a Football Insider subscriber, all you got to do is go to cleveland.com slash browns. Put that blue banner at the top of the page. Easier done than said. You get a daily newsletter delivered to your inbox. You can become one of our tech subscribers. And of course, you get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns. So again, the blue banner at the top of the page, cleveland.com slash browns, to get information and get signed up. Okay, here is our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And here we go on our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Let's get right to it. Mary Kay, really the, the lingering story from Sunday's game, and it was a wild game, but the lingering story is the Ronnie Harrison situation where uh, Greg Lewis, the running backs coach for the Chiefs, Chiefs kind of shoved Ronnie Harrison. He thought he was stepping on Clyde edwards Ilaire. Harrison, of course, responded by shoving Lewis back, got, uh, got kicked out of the game. So I'm just going to start with this. Hey, Mary Kay, should Greg Lewis be suspended? Well, Dan, I think that something should happen with Greg Lewis. I don't think that he should just get off scot-free for actually shoving a player. I mean, I've watched this film a number of times from a couple of different angles, and it really does, for the most part, look to me like it was incidental contact that he was tripping over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I don't think that he was trying to to stomp on him or step on him but that's what the coach seemed to think was happening and uh and he shoved him and of course ronnie retaliated shoved back got ejected uh but right now he's the only one paying the price and we talked to jc treader today the president of the nflpa and he was very strong in saying absolutely 100 percent you cannot have an opposing coach putting hands on an opposing player can't happen uh I got a hold of the NFL and they are reviewing the entire matter uh, because once JC and then also last night, Miles called for something to occur with Greg Lewis. He thought he should have been ejected as well. Uh, but, you know, these guys are calling for some disciplinary action for him. So I asked the league about that and they said now they are reviewing the entire matter. Uh, what we do know is that Ronnie is not going to get suspended, uh, but he will get fined in some way, I'm guessing, unless. Uh, you know, unless they go over and investigate this whole thing and, and decide not to find him on top of the ejection, I'm, I'm not really sure, but, um, but it's, it's under review and not exactly sure when we'll know, but yes, I do think that, that Greg should be partly to blame for starting the the shoving match. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the, I think the tone has been struck appropriately by the Browns 
And that is the, the overarching theme here is Ronnie Harrison can't do that. He's got to be smarter. And that's what Miles said yesterday. And if you kind of go watch, you know, I watched it a ton of times last night or Sunday night. Miles, after everything kind of breaks up, actually grabs Ronnie. You can see him kind of grab Ronnie. And Miles kind of said, like, the thing he told him was, like, you can't, you've got to be smart. You can't do that. And what, what he did left the Browns with MJ Stewart playing safety. Nothing against MJ Stewart, but you want Ronnie Harrison out there playing safety. At the same time, JC Treader, who kind of came out strongest of anyone, is right too. You can't have coaches doing that because what that leads to is some coach out there is going to try and goad Ronnie Harrison into doing it again or some other important player. And I don't think there's any assistant coach or at least any position coach who's going to be more important to a team than a player on the field. And you, you just can't, you can't open that door. So I, I agree with JC that the NFL needs to probably look at this and, and address it. Not that I think we're going to see some slew of incidences like this, but it, it's something that puts it on the NFL's radar. And I think they need to address it. Absolutely. 100%. Uh, but what a, a way to start your football game, losing one of your starting safeties five plays into the game. I think that really hurt them. I mean, it, it did. It hurt them. I mean, when you get to, to the end of the game and, you know, you've got John Johnson three going in for IVs for a little bit, uh, you know, in the locker room because of, of heat exhaustion and things like that, uh, you're not having an opportunity to roll guys in a little bit like you normally would have. Uh, and Grant Delpit obviously wasn't ready yet. So you were not able to keep the guys as fresh as you would have wanted to. So it did hurt them. But, uh, you know, heat of the moment, learning experience for Ronnie. Uh, but ironic in some ways, isn't it, that Miles was the one who grabbed him and said, you've got to keep your cool on the field, right? But who knows better than Miles right. what can happen when you don't, right? What can happen when you don't? So I actually think, that it was completely appropriate for Miles to say, whoa, 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 you can't be doing that. So there you have it. Yeah, I mean, Miles learned that. It wasn't just the helmet. It was, you know, the personal foul in that opener against Tennessee and other incidences in that season. So, yeah, I mean, Miles sort of knows from experience, like you, you just can't do that stuff. You can't hurt the team. And for the Browns, who really pride themselves on being, we hear it all the time, right, tough, smart, accountable Look, it's hard. When somebody pushes you, you want to push them back. But that's football, too. You've got to control that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's shocking to see it, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing for the coach to, to kind of react like that because he thought that he was stepping on his guy, you know. But to see Ronnie, you know, shove the coach, like almost kind of in the, in the neck area like that, his, his headset – it gets all uh, askew and it, it was, it was something to see. And, and I do think that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin Stefanski meets out a little discipline of his own for Ronnie Harrison, uh, because that is just not what Kevin Stefanski preaches. What's the one thing everybody always tells us about Kevin Stefanski. You can't rattle him. He's unflappable. And he wants his football team to reflect that, to be like him in that way. And uh and so just, I mean, not the way that you want to start the season like that. And, and we've learned over and over again that he doesn't, he's not afraid to, to kind of hand out some punishments. I mean, just recently we saw Troy Hill have to play a preseason game and nobody ever came out and admitted it. But I, I think there is a very strong suspicion that it had to do with that fight he started against the Giants. 
All right, let's talk a little Odell Beckham here. This is from Larry Steinbacher in Medina. He says, hey, Mary Kay, is Odell Beckham Jr. really okay? The tape of him working out pregame did not look like he was running free and easy. You know, Odell came out a few hours before the game and kind of did some stretching, walkthrough type stuff, uh, barefoot around the field. Um, people kind of, I, t- I tweeted that out and people, of course, there were the Braylon Edwards things and like, this is sort of what the Browns do in walkthroughs. Guys wear sandals. They go barefoot. It's just to sort of slow them down. Kevin Stefanski has explained that. Don't get caught up in that. But he did some kind of calisthenics, some stretching around the field, and then he came out, and he wasn't doing a whole lot kind of before inactives came out. So it started to look like he had decided and Kevin had decided not to play him. Any concern that he's not close, I guess? You know what? It's shrouded in a bit of mystery, to be honest with you, Dan, because I fully expected him to play. I had talked to people uh, that kind of gave me the impression that they felt he was ready to go. Um, I was very surprised that he decided not to play. I mean, you started to, as the week went along and he didn't talk to us, he didn't talk to media, uh, you started to have to wonder, you know, maybe maybe this wasn't going exactly the way everyone had planned. Uh, but, you know, I, I really don't have a tremendous handle on it yet in terms of was there a tiny bit of a setback? Did, did he ramp it up to a certain point and feel like that was too much too soon? Because for the most part, we have not seen him in team drills. We saw him in a few 11 on 11s, but he never got the ball in those. Uh, you know, he, he was really, you know, either just, you know, running a route you know, on a running play or going against the scout team or something like that. I don't think there was ever any full speed 11 on 11 either. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we didn't really know exactly how he looked in, in the team drills, but Alex Van Pelt also, I thought Alex Van Pelt was very optimistic when, uh, you know, when we talked to him this week and he was all about, uh, you know, acting like Odell was going to be ready to go. I actually think that, coaches and people in the organization pretty much thought he was going to play. And I think there was some element of surprise that he didn't play unless it's gamesmanship, because that happens too. Right. I mean, gamesmanship is enormous when you're talking about a big game like this and it's, it's the truth. I mean, yeah, a guy is questionable. He, you know, he is 50, 50, but I mean, you can shade that over towards looks great. Going to play. Can't wait to see him out there. All that kind of stuff. Um, without any penalty, you know, like of budging the, the injury report. So I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was gamesmanship or if he had somewhat of a, a period of time in practice where he just didn't feel like he could go out there and be Odell. That's another thing that you have to consider with these guys is they want to look like themselves. I mean, they want to be who they are. They want to be the three-time pro bowler that they are when they're out there. And if they don't feel like they can be that and be full speed and have that confidence, then, you know, that's another thing. And, and if, you, if you're not going to play full speed, then you're going to hurt your football team. I, I'm sitting here thinking about the gamesmanship side of things and something we saw on Friday. Uh, Bill Simmons has this thing where he calls himself conspiracy bill. I'm going to be conspiracy Dan for a second here. So Odell Beckham in practice on Friday, I'm sure you remember this. He was going first in a lot of the team drills. Right. And to a lot of us that indicated, oh, he's probably ready to go. Right. At the same time, Odell Beckham never goes first in team drills. 
So the conspiracy Dan part of me is like, well, maybe this was a little gamesmanship. They know we're standing out there watching. Maybe they wanted us to see him go first in team drills and start tweeting yeah. that out or, or writing that in stories or whatever. Yeah, I mean, there, there seemed to be a sort of an Odell is going to play vibe, like a pretty strong Odell is going to play vibe, ramping it up, ramping it up. I mean, he, he looked good. There was never a time in practice where I ever thought, boy, that's not the Odell I'm used to seeing, right? I mean, he's looked fast, he's cutting, he's, you know, stretching every part of his body to, to catch a pass one-handed or whatever, whatever he has to do. There was just never a moment where I thought this just isn't going in the right direction. But here's the thing. Now that he didn't play in that game, I wouldn't rush it now. I mean, that was a big, huge game where he could have been the difference in that game. And each game matters so much. But the next several games, I think they can win without him. And therefore, if he doesn't feel ready right now, I would let him sit down for the maybe, you know, the next couple of weeks or the first quarter of the season and have him for the long haul. You can beat the Texans without Odell Beckham Jr. Why would you risk it against the Texans? So that's what I would do. Yeah, I mean, look, you've got the Texans, the Bears, and the Vikings coming up. I mean, the Vikings just lost to the Bengals yesterday. Yeah. You know, you don't ever want to overreact to week one, but that, that's not great for the Vikings. Um, so, yeah, maybe you can play it a little safer here moving forward. More wide receiver questions, and this one, this just – it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like the Browns are back because Paul Nichols – from Bay Village, who was nice enough to do the phonetic spelling of his name. It must be spelled a little differently, I guess. But Paul Nichols from Bay Village. Hey, Mary Kay, I'm curious as to what this team's perspective is on Rashard Higgins. Is there something we're not seeing? Because, again, on Sunday, we didn't see a whole lot of Rashard Higgins. Uh, it was a lot of Anthony Schwartz, a lot of Donovan Peoples-Jones. Higgins did not play. I don't have the game book open right now, but he didn't play very much. Uh, on Sunday, I'll look up those snap counts while you answer this. Almost none. He yeah, like, it was like four or five. Yeah, four or five snaps. It was yeah. So here we go. Our first, our first, what's going on with Rashard Higgins question? Well, I'll tell you what. He did not practice a whole ton over the past few weeks. He has been hobbled. Okay, and he's got a hamstring injury right now, and he was limited most of the week with his hamstring. Uh, he came up to. Uh, you know, full practice on Friday, but I'll tell you what, there's still, when you're dealing with the hamstring, uh, I, I still think that you want to err on the side of caution with those, like they have done with all of their guys all summer long. Um, whereas the Ravens have had a rash of ACLs, which is obviously way worse. The Browns have had a rash of hamstring injuries. And I always wonder if it has anything to do with the surface or the field. And I don't know. It just seems like when you have 10 or 11 hamstring injuries, there's got to be a common denominator. There's got to be a reason, but nobody seems to agree with me on that. They are looking into it, but um, he's one of the hammy guys. And I don't think it's much more than that. I mean, he, he rolled an ankle in practice too. So for a while he was, limited with an ankle injury. If you remember, like during the like Giants week and stuff like that, he really didn't do much then either. So I, I'm going to chalk it up to some nagging injuries. And, you know, and for now, that's it. We'll see it as, as we go along here. But I don't think there's anything real super deep about it. Yeah. And I mean, look, they obviously preferred Anthony Schwartz yesterday. You know, they, they wanted him on the field. They liked what he could bring. So so they obviously preferred having him on the field as well. So 
you know, we'll see. I don't know if this is a similar situation to last year or if, like you said, those injuries will clear up and, and we'll end up seeing more of 82 out there. Uh, but another receiver question from uh, Mac in Washington, D.C. says, hey, Mary Kay, I was glad to see Anthony Schwartz make such a strong debut, but I was surprised by the lack of targets for Donovan Peoples-Jones, especially with OBJ out. What do you think explains that? This is a situation where Donovan Peoples-Jones played 47 offensive snaps in, in this football game, and he didn't really make a, a huge impact in the receiving game. He was targeted one time, uh, one catch for four yards. You know what? So I'm telling you right now, Some I think every single week we're going to look at the targets and we're going to look at um, the snaps and we're going to wonder – like, how did this happen? How did that happen? Like, why didn't this guy play? But that's the nature of this beast that that is the Cleveland Browns offense right now. There's so many weapons that on any given week, some guy is just not going to be a part of the game plan. I am a little bit. I am surprised that Donovan Peoples-Jones didn't have more targets. I thought that was weird. One for four yards. Really? Right. I mean, that, that just didn't make sense. That did not make sense to me. It really did not. Um Again, there were only 21 completions that happened in the game and, um, and 28 attempts. And actually, um, yeah, if you consider that the last one, an attempt. But, um, but yeah, so that, I thought that was bizarre, especially when you knew that Odell was out and he was starting the game. But I guess one of the ways to explain it or to partially try to explain it is the fact that in this particular game, they saw an opportunity to try to get behind the defense a couple of times and, and try to utilize Anthony Schwartz's speed. And it did work um, that one time when he caught the 44 yarder. So that was good. And I, I had been saying that I thought he was going to play. Remember um, Doug was giving me some pushback on that, like thinking this guy's not going to get on the field. Well, you know what, when you have 4.26 speed, you are going to get on the football field. Um, and you know, he didn't catch that last one on the second last drive. Um, and he blamed himself for that. But then, of course, Baker took blame for it, too. But I th all in all, I thought it was a pretty good debut for Anthony Schwartz. And I think you will see more of him going forward. I, I think this is sort of how people need to look at it, because, I mean, you said it. anyone who's been listening to this podcast has been hearing over and over again, like you're going to be asking, why isn't this guy getting targets or why isn't this guy getting playing time? There, there's just there's too many mouths to feed and it's fine. As long as guys stay happy, it's fine. But I mean, look through the target list and tell me which of these targets you want to give to Donovan Peoples Jones. There aren't that many of them, you know, I mean, okay, maybe you don't need to throw the ball that one time to Andy Janovich, but that's not a play for Peoples Jones. Anyway, you don't want to take Jarvis Landry's targets away in this game. He was really important and, and really valuable for your game. David Njoku, right. I said, he might start winning me over here. You're not going to take any of those targets away from him. Same with Schwartz. So, you know, I, I wouldn't get too caught up in the target numbers. I would look at kind of who got targeted, how many times they got targeted, and think to yourself, do I want to take that away from this guy so this guy can have like two or three targets instead of one? I, there's just not much that I saw in the passing game yesterday where I thought, man, I wish that ball would have gone to DPJ. Yeah, the only thing that I wonder about with the situation that they have, and I think it's going to be a work in progress for a little while, maybe not so much against some of the lesser teams that they will play come, you know, coming up. But, you know, sometimes you want to get a guy into a rhythm, 
you know, like Jarvis Landry was getting into a little bit of a rhythm. He caught five of five targets for 71 yards and guys like Jarvis get into a rhythm. Odell gets into a rhythm. I do think when you spread the ball around a lot, you do run the risk of spreading it a little too thin and not getting a hot hand. You know, a guy can get a hot hand. Sometimes you don't know if the hot hand is going to happen until you get, until you see the matchups in the game. Um, and then you figure out that, oh, well, we can exploit, um, you know, this safety or that cornerback or whatever the case may be. But I, I do think that there is something to be said for, for getting players, uh, you know, really rolling. And, you know, it just becomes a, like a rolling ball of thunder and they, you know, they can't be stopped in some ways the way that, uh, that happened with Tyreek Hill yesterday. I mean, you know, like you get them hot and then it's, they're off to the races. So we'll see how it goes. Okay. This is a long one from Joe in London, Ohio. I'm going to try and shorten it a little bit here, but the point he's making is let's take everything that happened in Sunday's game and reverse it. So the Browns come back and win that game. They get the turnovers, you know, they get the fumble from the running back. They get the punter dropping the football, um, all, all of that stuff. Do we look at that win any differently? And, and the point he's making is he kind of feels like the Chiefs got kind of lucky here, which leads to this question. Hey, Mary Kay, which team do you feel better about going forward? The Chiefs have a lot, have a lot of holes, but have the ultimate hole plugger in Patrick Mahomes. The Browns have next to no holes. Their quarterback is ascending. So I guess right now coming out of this game, who do you feel better about? You know what? That is a really good question. Um, you know, I wrote a column yesterday just basically saying that if these two teams meet up again in, in the playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. <laughs> the Chiefs are going to really understand and know what they're up against, right? They now are going to know that, you know, when, when Travis Kelsey talks about them being a championship caliber team and that kind of stuff, I mean, now they're, you know, they're not just, that's not lip service, right? I mean, they know now that they are going to have to bring their A game from the start because they are not going to be able to count on the punter dropping a snap. And they're not going to be able to count all the time on Nick Chubb fumbling the ball because he doesn't do that. And Baker Mayfield usually doesn't throw interceptions. He threw one in his last nine games last year. So in one respect, the Chiefs got lucky because the Browns started imploding, but they also got hot. It was like the perfect storm. They got super hot at the same time as the Browns started giving them little gifts. Um, and then you, and you can't count on it happening in the, uh, in, you know, the next time that they meet, I think that the Browns, and we've talked about this before, are the stronger team man for man. I mean, my goodness, you know, there are players on that chief's defense that, um, you know, the Browns that they wouldn't, that they would be third stringers for the Browns. There are a couple guys over there that I'm thinking that guy would not be getting on the field if he played for the Browns. And, um, you know, so we'll have to see, but if the Browns, if it lets all things being equal and every, everyone stays healthy and Teron, Teron Matthew comes back and Frank Clark is back and Odell Beckham's back, let's just say everybody's healthy. I think the Browns can beat the chiefs in the AFC championship game, but Arrowhead is so loud. I mean, deafening. It is deafening in there. It is unbelievable. That stadium is incredible. Um, but I mean, I think the Browns could do it because their defense is going to be better by that. Their defense is going to be so much better. I mean, these, this was the first time these guys played together. It was the first 
game for Greg Newsom, Malik McDowell, JOK. Um, it was, a, you know, they, these guys barely have practiced together. They never played in a preseason game together. I mean, this was it. So I think by game six, you're going to see a much different defense. Yeah, there was a, a defensive question. We're going to get to that one next. But, yeah, I mean, look, you come away from yesterday. You know, you hope blowing that lead doesn't mean you have to play a playoff game in Arrowhead instead of first energy. We'll see how that plays out. But you do come away feeling like if these two teams meet again, it's kind of – it's going to be a stare down. Who makes the first mistake or who makes the last big play or whatever? I mean, the Browns are right there with this football team, and they showed that yesterday. So now let's get to that defensive question from Chris Selleck in Springboro. Hey, Mary Kay, what are the key lessons learned about the revamped defense? There's not another Mahomes-Kelsey combination on the regular season schedule, but what can the Browns do differently to protect against throws to tight ends? I love talking about the defense after this game because I think it's really hard to do. But I do think there were positives, even though they gave up a bunch of yards and a bunch of points. I still came away with some positives about this defense. Yeah, there were there were a lot of things to be if you're a Browns fan or you're a member of the Cleveland Browns organization, a lot of things to be excited about about this defense. And once again, they just played the number one offense from 2020. Okay, the offense that has gone to the Super Bowl the last two years, won it two years ago. So that's a pretty darn good offense as we all know and I think that the Browns with that defense even that we saw yesterday that was still a little bit disjointed and doesn't quite have their act together yet completely uh, they're going to win a lot of football games I mean my goodness to be able to roll those guys in like they do on the defensive line and keep those guys fresh so that in the fourth quarter you can send Jadavian and, and, and Miles Garrett from from the edges or wherever you want to bring them from and have them converge on Patrick Mahomes uh, that's going to happen a lot this year. That's going to happen a lot. And once again, they still don't have their complete mojo down yet with who's doing what, when, and, and they're going to get it. And when they get it and those lights come on, uh, it, it's going to be really tough to handle this defense. And they're, and they're also going to start to get the turnovers. They're going to get those takeaways. They will come. You know, the Chiefs are not a team that turns the ball over. Patrick Mahomes, as we know now, uh, now he's 35 touchdowns and zero interceptions in the month of September. So it was going to be hard to get an interception off of him, although MJ Stewart had one in his hands and dropped it. Um, but it was going to be hard to pick him off. But, but this defense is going to get a lot of takeaways. They're going to get a lot of pressure. They're going to force fumbles. I think it's going to be uh, an AFC North defense uh, that Browns fans are going to fall madly in love with. Yeah, I mean, my takeaways are – you know, in the, in the second quarter, you know, with the chiefs driving and maybe, you know, trying to double dip, which would have helped them take the lead out of halftime. You forced a punt uh, after the Nick Chubb fumble, you held them to a field goal. And then, you know, after, you know, when you needed to get the football back to try and give your offense a chance to go win the game, miles Garrett made that play. He got that sack and, mm -hmm. you know, you forced that punt. It wasn't perfect. I'm not going to sit here and say the defense played great yesterday because they didn't. But at the same time, they were opportunistic, I thought, even though they didn't force turnovers. They, there were certain moments where they just needed to make sure Kansas City didn't score a touchdown, and they managed to, to do that. 
Yeah, and and I just think there's going to be a lot more where they there came from. I think that Joe Woods needed to get these guys out into a football game and a couple football games before he figures out, okay, who's in on my goal line package? Who's in the big nickel? Who, you know, and a couple guys weren't even playing in this game. You know, again, Grant Delpit and Ronnie Harrison were both out. Um, so. You know, I think it's going to take a little while to get all the pieces and parts working together, but you can see where they're going with this. I mean, Malik McDowell, look at, look at his debut, first play of the game. Boom, two-yard uh, tackle for a loss. So I think his upside is really, really good. Uh, JOK, he's, he's got a long way to go, but, I mean, he's going to be dynamite once he really starts getting it rolling. And um, there's just going to be, I think there's just going to be a lot to like I thought it was a it was a pretty good debut for Greg Newsom. It wasn't like he was getting burned all the time, you know. Yeah, so, I, think, I think PFF had him as the third highest coverage grade on the team. Yeah, so you know that that was uh, you know we talked about that heading in. Um, I don't know. I didn't look up yet how many catches he gave up. Um, I saw a couple, but um, but he didn't. He he did a nice job in his first ever NFL game. So. Uh, the future looks very, very bright for this defense. Okay, more on the defense from Mike Campbell in Huron, Ohio. Not Huron. I learned that a, a few years ago, or maybe somebody bamboozled me. Maybe it is Huron, but I actually think it's pronounced Huron, which is a little weird. Really? Uh, yeah, maybe. Don't, don't quote me on that. Maybe somebody was just messing with me. But whatever, we're going with that. Hey, Mary Kay, is there a reason to be concerned about Miles Garrett's and Jadavian Clowney's pre-snap offsides penalties in yesterday's game? Uh, the, I think they'll get them cleaned up. I, I think they'll get them cleaned up. Sometimes a, a certain crew will call, call things a little tighter than another one, uh, but they'll, you know, they'll be on the lookout for it. And, uh, and I don't think it'll be a recurring issue. I, I think they'll, I think they'll get that managed. I don't think it's really necessarily anything to worry about. You want to be super fast off the ball and they will be. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, sometimes you jump the gun the tiniest bit, but uh, I, I don't think it's going to be a recurring issue. I, I think you just live with that with Miles. It's sort of like, you know, Joe Thomas used to always, it looked like he false started every single time by the end of his career. But, you, you know, and I think he might have gotten hit once or twice with him. But I, I mean, you live with it. Miles is so fast off the ball. You live with it because he'll make that play right. at the end of the game that, that you need. Like, I, I thought it was interesting that he called himself a gunslinger. On Sunday night, I'd never heard a pass rusher call himself that. I thought that was really interesting uh, that he said that. Okay, um, Jacob from Berea wants to know, hey, Mary Kay, should the Browns go down the moral victory road for yesterday, or should we be more critical of how they fell apart in the second half? You know what? I, I think it's time now to, uh, you know, to stop going down the moral victory road. Moral victories were for when the Browns were winning three games and four games and and no games, right? I mean, it's not time for moral victories anymore. I'm, I can promise you that the Chiefs don't pat themselves on the back for moral victories. That's not what teams that want to go to the Super Bowl do. You go into a football game to win it, and you want to come out with the W. And if you don't, uh, you know, there's just not too, too many things uh, that you want to be, you know, crowing about after that. Although I do think that this was a very encouraging game and that it I think we knew what we were looking at every day when we went out there to practice. I think we know what Andrew Barry has assembled here in terms of the talent on this football team. 
And I think that, you know, it was on display yesterday. Um, but this is not a moral victory. No. And, you know, I'll tell you, I mean, you, you just can't, you can't fall apart in the second half of a football game. I mean, you just, you just can't, you cannot make those kind of, I mean, when you look at it, I mean, you had, you know, Ronnie Harrison early on makes a mistake, you know, then Nick, although I think that I thought that was a really, really good hat on the ball play by one Thornhill. That wasn't just Nick dropping the ball. I mean, that, that was a, a forced fumble, a legit forced fumble. Um, and then obviously Jamie Gillen, that was bad. We talked to Kevin Stefanski about that today. You know what? Get the ball off, you know, pump that ball after that. He had time to do that. So that was uh, an error. So there were like first game mistakes and mental errors that, you know, that should not have happened. And then I still think that Baker Mayfield was trying to make a play there at the end. I don't know what you think, Dan, and I have to go watch it a few more times. You know, it's funny. I'm actually looking at a question right now. You're talking about the one that they've been saying he was trying to throw away. Yes. Yeah. So somebody asked us about that. Um, and I, sc I scrolled past it here um, as I was looking at some other questions. But yeah, somebody brought that up. Here we go. Ronnie from Chapmanville, West Virginia brought it up. He says Baker is on record saying he intended the interception to go three rows deep, but it looked to me like he was throwing directly in Harrison Bryant's direction. Yes. That's what I thought. Yeah, I mean, again, I'll put on that that conspiracy Dan hat. It sure didn't feel like he was trying to throw that football away. Now I know he got his, his legs wrapped up. It was Daniel Sorensen, I think, that got yeah, him. But it was. It was Daniel. Man, it, it did not look to me like he was trying to launch that thing into the third row. No, because Dan, he has a strong enough cannon of an arm that if he wanted to throw that thing out of bounds in that situation, even with in the grasp of Dan Sorensen, I think he could have done it. I think that he was trying to make that play to Harrison Bryant. I think he saw him and thought, I've got this one-on-one -on -one matchup and I'm just going to go for it and, and hope that this works, you know, like a last ditch effort. Um, so, you know, again, I, I could be wrong. He was a little vague the way he described it too, right? I mean, the way that Baker described yeah. it, it was almost like, well, I was planning on throwing it away, but then, you know, whatever. Then I had, you know, then he had, had me by the feet and I, I really couldn't see what I was doing about. I don't know. I don't know. A lot of other people talked about, about the play as though he just made a, a bad play. Mike Hughes, the, the guy who intercepted, I wrote a column about this today. Um, Miles backed him up, but Miles, Miles, Miles called Baker a gunslinger and said um, that he, you know, he was just trying to make a play there and he doesn't fault him for that. And he'll ride with him in, in you know, whatever he feels like he needs to do in that situation. Uh, Miles is going to trust him. Mike Hughes said he, he made a bad decision and Mike Hughes capitalized on it. Kevin Stefanski talked about it. Like he tried to make a play there and that's Baker trying to win the game for us. Um I don't know. It just seemed like there was a lot of evidence that this was something other than trying to throw the ball away. So big mystery there. Yeah. And so Baker said after the game that Harrison Bryant came up and apologized. Right. So he said, this is, I, I just looked it up while you were talking. He said, um, on the last throw of the interception, what could you have done differently? 
Uh, just try to throw it out of bounds. I got just enough on my feet to affect it and make me keep it inbounds. I didn't exactly see what happened. I was on the ground. Harrison came up and apologized, and I said it's not his fault because the ball was supposed to be out of bounds. Is he trying to protect Harrison Bryant? Baker has sort of taken on that leadership role where I, he's definitely very publicly tries to protect. I mean, he put that Anthony Schwartz throw on him, right. uh, on himself. That's sort of what a quarterback is supposed to do publicly. I don't know. Obviously, this is all just speculative, but that, that kind of stood out to me a little bit too. Yeah, so, and and the way he started out that answer, I mean, the question was, what could you have done differently? Yeah. And the answer was, just try to throw the ball away. Right, and I, I think I was the one, I might have been the one that asked him that, and that's kind of what I was trying to get at, like, right. not just what happened on the play. So he didn't, yeah, he didn't say, I was trying to throw the ball away. It was what, what, what should you have done there? Just try to throw the ball away. And then he goes into this other little, you know, explanation where it's a little bit nebulous about exactly what happened. But I think maybe he thought about trying to throw the ball away. And then he saw Harrison Bryant there and decided in that split second to try to get the ball to him. Yeah, that, that's an, although I, I got to remember, like I said, I feel I thought that I was the one that brought it up. If I wasn't, or whoever did is out there listening, I apologize. Sometimes on these transcripts, though, um, after games, they get the questions a little bit off. So I'd have to go back and listen to, to exactly how it was phrased. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a I'm glad you brought that up because I saw that question and I thought it was a little strange rewatching the play. Like he's trying to launch that out of bounds. Like, right. I mean, and, and we know, I mean, he can get that out of bounds if he wants to, even, you know, even if his feet aren't set and he's got, you know, he's in the grasp, I still think he can get that out of bounds if he actually really wanted to in that moment. So I don't know. I, I, in, in the moment, there was nothing about what I saw that made me think he was trying to fling that thing out of bounds. Okay. Let's get to a few more of these. Robert from Ponte Vedra, Florida says, hey, Mary Kate, with the better than expected level of play by Cincinnati and Pittsburgh on Sunday, are you contemplating adjusting your predicted number of wins for the Browns? Did those outcomes, Cincinnati beating Minnesota and Pittsburgh beating Buffalo, change your opinion on how the Browns might fare against those two teams? Well, you know, I have to tell you that I've been saying this all along. I've always thought that Pittsburgh was going to be better this season than some people thought they were going to be because they have a really good defense. I mean, when you have a really good, when you've got TJ Watt and Cam Hayward and all those guys that they have over there on that Pittsburgh defense, I mean, that alone is going to win you some football games, right? And then Ben Roethlisberger, another year out of his elbow surgery. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Um, but there's a chance he could be better than he was last year. And we know they have a good receiving core and now they have a good running back. What they don't have is a good offensive line. Um, but I just think they're going to win some football games. It's they're well coached. And I still do think it's going to be hard to go into Pittsburgh and win that football game because of, of how good their defense is. And if they have their full complement of defenders healthy for that game, um, I think that they could make that a long afternoon on the Browns. It doesn't change my record prediction for the Browns because, you know, that's probably one of the five games that I, I would think that they could possibly lose, you know? And now, now I, 
I had them think, yeah, I, I was thinking maybe going into Green Bay would be tough, but now I'm not so sure about that either <laughs> after we, the way that they played yesterday. Um, so yeah, no, it doesn't change anything. Same here. I'm still, I, I don't come away from that Pittsburgh game feeling better about the Steelers. Um, I, I mean, I look, I, they're, they're always going to win eight to 10 games. That, I mean, that's going to be their, their floor. But I just, I mean, watching that game, I didn't come away feeling any better about that football team. Ben was not good. Uh, Najee Harris averaged 2.8 yards a carry. The Bills statistically beat Pittsburgh in almost every category. They, out, they outgained them 371 to 252 yards. Uh, Pittsburgh got a special team score on a blocked punt. I just, seeing some of those throws, it, I don't know. I didn't see a lot of sustainable stuff from Pittsburgh. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm still not feeling any better about Pittsburgh after that game. I feel worse about Buffalo than I do better about Pittsburgh. Cincinnati, though, is, is really intriguing. Not that I think they're going to win 10 games, but like Joe Burrow with all those weapons can put up some points. Yeah. And I mean, we've talked about this so many times on our pods and videos. I think we all feel the same way about the talent of Joe Burrow. And I'm just you know, excited to watch all the good quarterback play that's going to be happening in the AFC North over the, the next decade or so. I mean, it's going to be really good if everybody stays where they're at. Uh, I just think that Joe Burrow is one of those quarterbacks that can elevate the play of guys around him. I mean, he almost remember uh, last year, he almost beat the Browns in Cincinnati. That was a heck of a game, by the way, um, when his defense quit on him, you know? I mean, that was, that was a good football game. And I, I just think he's so good that, yeah, he, they could surprise some people. They do have weapons and he's really good. You know, you wonder about him coming off the torn ACL. Um, but if he's healthy, I think, I, I think he can do some things. Okay. Well, let's do one more question here. This is about the punt. Um, I, I guess someone said today uh, that if he were the coach of the Browns and the punter couldn't catch the football, he'd be looking for a new job today. So I guess the question here is, uh, hey, Mary Kay, should Jamie Gillen be concerned about his future? You know, I'll just add, I think people need to change. We've discussed this. This, this front office, this coaching staff, if they like somebody, they're not going to just give up on them. That's true. And I, I made this point in uh, some of the, the little quick hits that I did off of Kevin Stefanski's press conference today uh, and some of the notes is that, they went, all, all we talked about all offseason, what, what's the one area you're worried about? The kicker, the kicker, the kicker, right? Like you're worried about is Chase McLaughlin going to be able to make an extra point in the clutch, right? It was the kicker. Nobody was worried about the punter for Pete's sake. Nobody <laughs> wondered if the punter was going to have a huge impact in helping you lose the football game, right? It was going to be a missed field goal or a missed extra point. And here it was a drop snap by the punter and the decision not to punt it after that, not to pick it up and just kick the darn thing. Um, we didn't see that coming, did we now? No. <laughs> we did not see that coming. And that was, you know, that was the, really, that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, I mean, it's just it. Although I will say, and I'm big on this, when you give your quarterback the ball back, when you get the ball back for your quarterback with 249 left to play down by four points, and one timeout left, you know, I think you should win the football game. I think you should go down and you should win the football game if you are 
the number one overall pick in the country with all that talent around you. I think you need to, I think that's when you take your game to the next level. You've got to win that game. You got to pull that game out. That's what you see Tom Brady do. You know, I mean, whenever Tom Brady gets the ball back in that, that situation, you're like, oh, we know what's happening here, right? right? When Patrick Mahomes gets the ball in that situation, you're like, oh, we know how this is going to end. When Aaron Rodgers does, when a lot of other guys do too, that are up in that upper, upper elite echelon of quarterbacks, that's the next level that Baker has to go to. Got to do it. You got to pull it out. Right. And that, that that's, that's the step from good to great. Right. And it's not, I mean, it's not just Baker. I mean, right. Like Lamar's got to do it. Right. Uh, you know, Josh Allen has to do, I mean, all these young guys have to still prove that they can do that over and over again, but you want to get to the point as a quarterback, like you said, when Dallas made that field goal last Thursday night and you right. looked at the clock, you knew exactly what was going to happen. Yes. And so you want, you want Baker to become that guy where when a team takes the lead or kicks a field, whatever they do to take the lead. And there's like 80 seconds left in the game. You just say, Oh, you left too much time for him. Yeah. And like, you can, you can basically just write your story then and there, you know, exactly what's going to happen. Um, and, and that, you know, that's, that's the step Baker still needs to take. And like I said, I mean, there's, there's guys in his class that still need to take that step too. It, yes. it's, but I do think it's a fair, I think it's fair to say that. Yes. And here's the other thing about it, Dan, when you watched that game, um, the, uh, the Thursday night game with Tom Brady, I'm sure you, you noticed this too. <laughs> He's looking over the sidelines and telling Bruce Arians, no, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> did you see that? I mean, he was, yeah, yeah, I think I did. He was completely saying no. Mm -mm. And then he, he <laughs> it, it's, it was, it's very funny to watch the, the play gets called and Tom's like, no, that's not, that's not what we're doing here. And then he looks on his little wristband and he decides what the heck play that they're going to run. Okay. So I guess what I'm saying is Baker is now also in his fourth season. It's also time for him to take ownership of a two minute drill like that. And if he sees something that he wants to change, change it and do what, what you think is going to work. Right. Right. That's, I mean, fourth year. I mean, this is not, he's not a rookie anymore. This is his fourth season and he's the number one overall pick, the number one overall pick. I, I just think I set the bar high for the number one overall pick to go down and win that football game with 249 left. Yeah. And by, and by the way, well, I mean, we'll just, we'll make this abundantly clear because I know you, you feel that I thought Baker played well yesterday. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. He played a really, really amazing game. He was deadly accurate uh, he was so on point in the first quarter um i mean he did i mean in the first half he did so many things i mean you know espn stats and info had all these stats about what he was like in play action and and you know different categories and he was just unstoppable and he was really really good um but like baker said and he knows this and that is all that stuff that happens before it doesn't matter if you can't pull out the game in the crucial moments. And I, I think like Miles was saying, Miles was like, I needed to go make that sack. Okay. Like I'm the number one overall pick and I am the leader of this defense and I have to go make that play in this big, big moment that is presented to me. And he did it. And 
he came out very strongly in defense of Baker for how he handled that, you know, that last play and what happened there. Um, but I also, I also think that, you know, it is time for Baker to do the same thing on his side of the ball, to take over in the biggest moment on the biggest stage on national TV against a Super Bowl team, a Super Bowl contending team, and make the plays that he needs to make to get that touchdown, to get into the end zone. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, you know, people don't want to hear that. I know that people don't want to hear that, but I think it's necessary to hear that because if you want to be going to the Super Bowl, it's what you have to do. You got to have fourth quarter comebacks. And I think he will. I think he's going to have a lot. I think he's going to have a lot this year. And I hope that this sticks with him. And I hope that he, this is a launching point for him. See, I'm writing a column already here, Dan, for myself. I got my Tuesday column written. Just just transcribe this. Yes, it's done. Well, Um, I mean, the, the best way to look at it is, like I said, we, Baker played really well yesterday. And I think everybody's really happy with how Baker played and feels really good about it. If they score on that last drive and win that game, right? It's legend. Like the, the talk today is pay Baker $45 million a year right now. Right. So I mean, I, th- I think that kind of sums up, you know, he played really well. There is still a but there. And that's okay because some like I said, I mean, Lamar Jackson needs to prove he can do it. Josh Allen needs to prove he can do it. There's there's other guys in his class that need to prove they can do it still. It takes time, but it, it's part of the story. Yeah, absolutely. But let me, let me just add this real quick too. I remember that I, I wrote this about Miles when he was heading into last season. And I said, it's time for Miles to take his game up to the next level where he's making game-changing plays. When you're the number one overall pick and everyone considers you to be a generational talent that can change the game, then you have to do that. You've got to go in there and you've got to rake the ball out and you've got to get strip sacks and you have to be the reason why your football team wins the game. That's where the bar is set for you when you're the number one overall pick. And when you're the franchise quarterback, that's where the bar is set for you. And he's got to take it up to the next level. And I, you know, like I said, he played incredibly well for most of that game. But when the chips were down, you have to keep it going. And then you got to pull it out and you got to win it. Okay. There we go. The Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast in the books for another week. These are coming your way every Tuesday. Roundtables on Wednesday. Got to watch the tape Thursday and game previews on Friday. We did get some predictions in our reviews. So on Friday, when we do our, our predictions pod, I'll shout out the folks that made their Browns Chiefs predictions and see who got some stuff right, who got some stuff wrong. Uh, Mary Kay, I will talk to you later. Sounds good.